Well, that was the opening music to The Mark of Zorro, released in 1940, and starring Tyrone Power as Diego slash Zorro, and Linda Darnell as Lolita Quintero, and, of course, Basil Rathbone as Captain Esteban Pascual. And uh, I, I gotta say, this, this movie, Sword Fight, gives the... Uh, Zatoichi movie, a run for its money as best sword fight in a movie for sure. Oh, absolutely. And and uh, Basil had a compliment for Tyrone Power. Basil in his book, In and Out of Character, said that Power was the most agile man with a sword I've ever faced before a camera. Tyrone could have fenced Errol Flynn into a cocked hat. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Love that quote. Uh, I do too. But he still loses in the end. He just can't seem to win his sword fights in the movies. Thankfully, it was offset by a, a large pay, uh, payment for his work. True. Compensation, True. yes. It's our fourth movie in our uh, Basil Rathbone Festival, our fourth and last. Sadly, our last, because I've really gotten into Basil. I. I just, I love his acting. We could do all the remaining uh, Sherlock Holmes movies that he was in and enjoy him so much. Hey, did you did you uh, see that text I sent you about how HBO Max has a bunch of uh, TCM movies on? Stream? Yes, yes. Yeah, Captain Blood is on there. So yep. if you, if you want to watch that. They have a whole spot on their uh, streaming service dedicated to H, uh, to uh, Turner Classic Movies, plus Turner Classic Movies on our uh, cable uh, on demand has a, a lot of movies, so I could watch Turner Classic Movies 24 hours a day. And they're they're doing their festival virtually again this year. Next year we'll be going there, I hope. Yeah, that that'll be fun. We'll 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 plan on it for 2022. <laughs> yes. All right, well, and you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews, and thank you to our patrons. Uh, we did a kind of a discussion of musicals and stage plays that were turned into films, and that came out last week. And I was thinking we should do a deep dive on the actress who's in our next series of movies, Oh, Jean Moreau, yes, yeah. yes. Wonderful talent. I like that. Yeah, we could do a little discussion of her career before we dive into a couple of her movies. And those movies are going to be interrupted, though, with Star Wars, which is our 200th episode, uh, which I'm super excited about. I feel like I need to do a lot of research and be really prepared for that one. <laughs> There's just so much to talk about. I still remember all of us going to uh, Cinerama in Denver to see the uh, the first of the Star Wars movies, even though it's number four in order. Yeah. Blew me away when that that opening scene took place. I just love that in that Cinerama theater. I have a few little snippets of memories. I would have been seven, uh, and I remember standing in line. I remember the big spaceship going over at the beginning. I remember the Death Star blowing up in that whole like run down the trench, and the ending where they have the ceremony I, I, those are things i have really clear memories of seeing quite an overwhelming experience at the theater yeah 
But today we're talking about The Mark of Zorro, and uh, this was a super fun movie too. I was really getting into it. I was loving the, the music and his horse riding abilities. He was, it always looked like he was going about 60 miles an hour on that horse. <laughs> <laughs> he did a lot of that himself. Cut Tyrone Power, that is. He was quite the athlete. Very much so, yeah. This was a kind of a remake of an earlier film that was from the silent era. 1920, The Mark of Zorro with Douglas Fairbanks. Yes, a great film. And uh, we're never sure in the discussions of uh, the film which one of these, the 1920 or the 1940, influenced Batman when he saw the film and it, it uh, gave him the idea for his disguise and his, his costume when he was Batman. Yeah, they even had a, a, in one of the films, they had a little clip of this movie playing in the background and he, as Batman was a kid. Uh, I think it was the night that they went out, or like right before they went out to the theater where they got killed afterwards. See, we could have a show on the interconnection in the DC comics between different characters and the Marvel comics. But I'm just, I, I am kind of fascinated by the connection between Zorro and Batman, though. Shall we do our introductions? Oh, gosh, yeah. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from sunny North Bend today. And this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles where we're having nice, cloudy, rainy weather. It reminds me of Seattle. Welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and the, the Mark of Zorro. Zorro, the fox. I love, I love, the, uh, I love the, uh, everything about the movie, the opening scenes. And uh, what a character Tyrone Power is in this film. He, he goes back and forth between stylish fop, I love that word, fop, <laughs> yeah. and the aggressive and always dangerous and mysterious Zorro. There was a scene where he's coming to the estate and he's kind of getting the backstory of what's been happening. And, and it's almost like you could see it on his face that he was putting a plan together and that part of that plan was that he was going to act like very foppish if that's a word <laughs> it's doesn't get used as nearly enough and so even when he first meets the uh current person in charge i forget what the name of that role was the well the translation i had to look it up because it was it was unknown to me it was administrator and magistrate translated into dictator basically that he he was already playing into that that role of the fop uh which which was great but but they showed it like they he did a good job of showing it in his facial expressions like, oh, I see what's happening. Okay. Yeah. I can't let on that I'm an expert swordsman, horse rider, an all-around, you know, badass. <laughs> I got <laughs> to play it off here as I'm a kind of a weak sort of courtesan that all I really care about is getting back to Spain and, and visiting the king. Well, and having really nice clothes and great hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he was he, a snappy dresser. <laughs> He, he uh, definitely played both characters well. He, he had everybody fooled for quite a bit of the film. Well, even his love interest, uh, Linda Darnell, she was at first kind of excited about meeting him because uh, they were going to arrange this marriage. And uh, she was all nervous. And then he walks in and she gets this look on her face like, are you kidding me? This, <laughs> yes. this is the guy? Wow, I've lucked out. Yeah, but I loved that he didn't, try to he, he he wasn't mean about it like he he wasn't trying to deceive people to take advantage of them he was trying to deceive the bad guys so that they wouldn't catch on that he was actually the one who was zorro 
Oh, definitely, definitely. So, uh, just a little bit of background on the film. Uh, it was distributed by 20th Century Fox, and it came out in November of 1940. And I'll bet money that my mother and dad went to see that because this would be the kind of film that my dad would enjoy a great deal. My mother always loved If you said you wanted to go to the movie, it didn't matter what it was. She was, she was ready. She was at the door ready to go. <laughs> and the director, Ruben Mamoulian, uh, now, there's a guy that had a really interesting career. Uh, he was in films for like 30 years. He started out as the first director of Laura from 1944, a wonderful film. But he got fired, and Otto hmm. Preminger took over. And then he, he had a turbulent career, and he was the director for Cleopatra in 1963, and he resigned. Oh, wow. I think he probably thought, this thing is going to go so far off over budget, it'll never get made. But uh, my memory of what I read about him is that uh, he was very independent and wanted it done his way. It was his way or the highway. That seems to be a common trait among a lot of directors, though. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> it's fun to read about some of the things that went on. And Linda Darnell, isn't she a lovely woman in the film? My goodness. She is. She was really young when she filmed this, too. Uh, yeah, she was uh, seven, 17 or 18. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and she tragically, her her life ended at when she was forty one. She was trapped in a house fire. Oh my gosh! In, uh, in Glenville, Illinois, <clears throat> she was staying with either a friend or her manager, and uh, there was a fire, and she couldn't get out of the house. That's awful. Anyway, in this film, she's she's wonderful. Yeah, very beautiful woman, and you will remember her, of course. From our podcast of No Way Out from 1950, she was in that. Oh, right. Yep. She was good in that, too. So, The the Mark of Zorro, uh, I've already quoted Ma- Madrid, the center of the world, and the young blades <laughs> getting ready. That, that's an old, and the music is, it, from the very opening, it just thunders into the, into the onto the scene. It really does match up with the action. And all these young warriors getting ready for battle. Bare seat, bad hands, mouth not sufficiently schooled. Disqualified. Here comes the California cockerel. Ten pesos, he clears them all. Cleanly? Cleanly. Taken. Grow wings, my friend. pesos, if you please. <laughs> Maybe you've forgotten that in California they use horses for cradles. <laughs> well done, senor. Excellent. You know, all I did was sit on his back. Oh, three carrots. I have results tonight, Manuel. Si, senor. I love the opening where they're uh, learning, or they're kind of being tested, I guess, on their horse riding skills, and nobody can quite get that last jump, except then here comes Don Diego Vega on his horse, and he's going full speed, and he just easily jumps over it and then he gets a compliment he says ah it's nothing i'm just riding on the back of the horse he's he's very sort of uh <laughs> nonchalant nonchalant yeah very nonchalant about it he is so talented he knows it and then we see him in the tavern in there he's saying his goodbyes to all of his compatriots because he's going to be going off to california and he says don't worry and he throws his sword up and it sticks in the ceiling and says 
Your attention, please. I'm buying wine for all. Come on, come on. It's your last chance to fill up on me. Last chance? What do you mean? Well, my father has ordered me home. The commandant just told me. I sail on the first ship from Lisbon. To California? But what about your commission here? I'll have to give that up. What's it like in California? Are the Indians troublesome? No. Then who is there to fight? No one. Then what will you do with this spur of yours, my cockerel? This. Leave it there. And when you see it, think of me. In a land of gentle missions, happy peons, sleepy caballeros, and everlasting boredom. Wine. A toast, senores, to California, where a man can only marry, raise fat children, and watch his vineyards grow. <laughs> like, wow, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> it reminded me of Errol Flynn in, in uh, Robin Hood, 1938 version. Totally. His father is played uh, Don Alejandro Vega, is played by an actor, I love the actor's name, Montague Love. <laughs> yeah. Been thrown out of his job by the dictatorial uh, uh, replacement guy whose name I just forgot. <laughs> uh, his name is Don Luis Quintero, played by J. Edward Bromberg. He was quite a blustery guy, too, oh, but, uh, but a coward at heart, really. And his wife, the beautiful Gail Sondergaard, was Inez. Yeah, and, and she all was she could think romanced. about was all she wanted to do was get back to Spain. You could tell she definitely did not want to be in California. I know. And she loved it when Don Diego uh, Vega, uh, our, our hero played by Tyrone Power, showed up and had all the latest news and gossip and dance steps from the the court in Spain. You know, he was he was quite the ladies' man, even though he was a foppish. Dude. Yeah, wasn't he sort of like romancing her and saying, yes, well, let's go was. back to Spain and, and you don't even have to worry about your husband and you and I can hang out. It was it was it was weird. But, I, you know, he was it was all part of his plan to kind it, of exactly. Him. Yeah, he was he was trying to trick her into giving him more information about the strength of the dictatorial forces that yeah. he was going to combat. And as we find out later, defeat. That music got stuck in my head for, I swear, a week. One of the reviewers I read called the music bombastic. I think that's an apt description. And every time he would, he would show up on screen that music would kick in yep remember that scene where they were chasing him on the horse and he try he goes through the forest several different directions and then yes. he runs full speed over that tiny little bridge that was over that gully i know and i was like wow that's amazing the, the, looked like the, the grand control. canyon yeah he was so good on his horse there have been some other remakes of of the of the uh, story of zorro but this one to me of all the ones I've seen, I think I like it the best. It's just so well done. I can't think of the word Zorro without immediately next thinking Zorro the Gay Blade. Remember that movie? With George Hamilton. <laughs> yes. 
Too bad that it was 1980-something or we could review it. <laughs> yeah, he, that was a funny movie. He, he was indeed foppish. Yes. Oh, yes. 1981, so it's on the borderline. Did Antonio, An- Antonio Banderas make a Zorro movie? He did. He was in one. Uh, oh, my. Let's see if I can find that quickly. That was like in the late 90s or early 2000s, I think. He was in it with... Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones played the love interest, and uh, Anthony Hopkins. It was released in 1998. I, w- I remember seeing that in the theater. It was pretty fun. Fun movie. We, we mustn't forget the evil henchman, Captain Esteban Pascual by Basil Rathbone, who again has to play down his talent as sword fighter and, and plays an evil. He's playing the same character that he played in Robin Hood, just different place, a different place. And time. Captain Blood. Yeah, yeah, he was. He got a lot of those roles. He he was he was sort of like that uh, person that is resentful that he's not the one who's the main person in charge. You know, like he he definitely wanted to be top dog, and he was always kind of. I felt like he was always kind of irritated with uh, Don Luis Quintero. If he had his way, he would have maybe tried to bump him off himself. <laughs> oh, I I think that was on his mind all the time, as it was when he was the second fiddle to the uh, interim king in, in Robin Hood. He was kind of a Svengali. He was always trying to move around so he could take over. And he was very good at it, most of the time. And he and he was kind of disgusted by, by Don Diego Vega's uh, foppishness. <laughs> He was. He was like, "Are you kidding me?" There was a scene where he was just like he he was rolling his eyes basically at Don <laughs> Diego. Diego had him so uh, under his spell, and and he, he under he underestimated the uh, talent of the Zorro character by many degrees. I, I can't remember. Do you remember at the end when it's revealed uh, that that Diego is Zorro, and they're in that the office of the. Uh, Don Luis Quintero. If now Don Luis knew that that he he put the pieces together and said, "Oh my gosh, you're Zorro." But did did uh, Esteban Pascual realize that when he challenged him to a sword fight? It's kind of unclear to me, but I don't think he did. I don't think he knew what he was getting himself into for that sword fight because that was intense. When our hero, the fox, first meets Don Luis, the dictator. What caballero is this, or is he some young lord from Spain? A good guess, Excellency. He's just from Spain. This is Don Diego Vega, son of your respected predecessor. Ah, I thought such fabric came from Madrid. Must have cost you plenty, eh? The caballero is here for some words of welcome, not to discuss the price of his clothes, Excellency. Oh, of course, to be sure. <laughs> uh, welcome back, young sir. Regard this house as still your home. Uh, thank you, Excellency. Luis! Luis! A ship has arrived from Spain. The shops will have something worth looking at at last. I need... Money. Money, money. It's always money. Luis, <laughs> I don't know this caballero. He's just off your precious ship from Spain. How delightful. Will one of you ill-mannered boors present him? Don Diego Vega, Senora Ines de Quintero. My wife, senor. Senora, your excellency is a very fortunate man. I'm not so sure. She thinks pesos grow on mulberry trees. <laughs> Your husband was also fascinated by the caballero's clothes. Your pardon, senor, we're overwhelmed by the latest fashions. And no wonder. What is there here to interest a woman? I long for the life you've been leading, senor. The gaiety and splendor of Madrid and the court. Have patience, my love. You'll see it all someday. Doubtless, when I'm an old hag. 
That catastrophe could never overtake you, Signora. Oh, did you hear how easily he makes pretty speeches? I regret, Signora, that... Diego? Oh, yes. I, I was saying that I must tear myself away and make some speeches to my father and mother. Oh, don't leave me to these barbarians. Come to the shops with me and help me make my selections. Hmm? Oh, you... You tempt me, Senora. I, I love the shimmer of satin and silk, the matching of one delicate shade against the other. Then there's the choosing of scents and lotions. Attar of rose, carnation, crushed lily, and musk. As for ornaments and jewels... But, my love, Don Diego must see his parents. Too true. Duty rather than pleasure. Excellency. Capitan. Senora. I'll see you to the door. Peacock that won't give us any trouble. You think not? <laughs> the Capitan is jealous. The fop has pricked the fencing master. Touche! <laughs> I don't like such jests. Your eye might fail you. It's possible. Diego's kind of playing it off like, oh, politics are beneath me. He doesn't even want to feign interest in what's going on with with the political situation. Then he heads home to see his parents. He's got to play that same foppish character with them so that so that they don't suspect. At some point in the movie, he says, well, I can't let my father know. He's such a strickler for the law and the rules that he might turn me in. Yeah. I can't imagine his dad was enamored with that character. I'm glad that they said that in the movie, though, because I was wondering why was he having to play that character with his parents? And and it kind of oh, yeah. makes sense once... Because, you know, why not just tell his dad, like, hey, I'm going to do something about this? Because there's also this really great character, the Fray Felipe, played by Eugene Pallet. He was a he was a loud guy for a friar. Um, <laughs> yes, and he was kind of disgusted by Diego's performance too, as the foppish character. He he was just like, "What is all this, father?" Well, I am no longer Alcalde. In my place is a in man. his place sits a viper, so foul and so black. Hard to be alone with him for five minutes, five little minutes, long enough to tear his windpipe out of his throat. God forgive me. But why did you resign in the first place, Father? Resign? I was forced out of office. They threatened to burn the homes of the peons. And now he sits here doing nothing when he should... Enough, Felipe. Enough. The friar urges me to lead the caballeros in a revolt, which would surely fail against a garrison of trained soldiers. Even if I thought it would succeed, I'd refuse just the same. But why, Father? Because the law is the law, my son. I will not rebel against the government I served for 30 years. But that government is now vile and corrupt. I know. But two wrongs don't make a right. And never will. That is my feeling also. Sometimes one must fight fire with fire. I am a vega. I will not follow in the lawless footsteps of Risk and Terror. Nor will my son. No. No, no. Of course not, Father. Oh, by the way, I went directly from the ship to our old home. I met Signor Quintero and his charming wife. 
I found them very pleasant and agreeable. Pleasant scorpions, agreeable rattlesnakes. <laughs> oh, Padre. Well, the Alcalde spoke with great respect of you, Father. Well, I must admit he hasn't troubled me or my flocks so far. Well, that being the case, why get overly excited in this heat? I know I'm going to miss the scented breezes of Spain. Then you believe that we should not be moved by injustice and cruelty until it touches us? But my dear Padre, such things exist in the world and always will. By the way, I took up sleight of hand while I was in Madrid. It's all the rage just now. Watch closely. <laughs> to think that the boy that I helped to raise, the boy that I taught to hold a firm wrist behind a true point, has turned into a puppy. Ah! And he just storms off in a huff. He's very mad at him. And then he finally discovers the true identity. And he changes his mind. That was a good part. I love that scene when he finds out that Diego's Zorro because it just felt so genuine. What's disturbing you, Padre? Thoughts of that bandit? Puppy! Oh, my dear Padre, really? When I think of what one man single-handed has accomplished against these devils, and see you, the last of the Vegas, trembling at the very mention of his name, why, but can't you even listen to what I'm saying? Ordinarily, I drink in every word you say, Padre, but just now. Thank you, Mother. <laughs> Quick, hide this plunder. Plunder? Well, don't stand there gaping at me like a fish. Put it away. What is this? It's some of the Alcalde's gold. <laughs> oh, and this I took from his charming wife. It's pretty, don't you think? You took it. Have you seen this one, Padre? Zorro. <laughs> so my old mentor has no more wit than the rest of them, huh? <laughs> Are you trying to make me the receiver of stolen goods? No, Padre. The dispenser. This gold was wrung from the peons. It's up to us to restore it to them. My boy. My boy! My Diego! <laughs> Padre. Then you will lead your people against these scorpions. No. No, we'd be no match for a garrison of trained troops. My father was right about that. But you must have had the Akali at your mercy when you took the gold and the necklace from him. I would have snuffed him out like a candle. God forgive me. But that would accomplish nothing. Another just like him would take his place. I see. I see everything. Diego, don't deceive your father any longer. It's not fair to him. I don't like doing it, Padre, believe me. But I must. My father's such a stickler for law and order that I'm afraid he might spoil all the fun. But what can you hope to achieve all alone? Taking his money? Oh, no. But I may be able to persuade him to resign and name my father in his place. Amusing, don't you think? If you live. 
<laughs> okay, everything's right in the world the way that he thought that it would turn out. There are a lot of good scenes in this. One of my favorites is uh, when uh, Lolita is, is in the chapel. Oh yeah, that's so great. And, and meets the, uh, the shadowy figure of the fox. I want to leave this lonely place. I want to meet young people, girls of my own age. No one ever comes here. The caballeros avoid this place like the pest house. Why? They, they hate my Uncle Luis. You know, I, I feel that there's something wrong about him. Decidedly wrong. What do you think? Well, people hate him, as you say. You have your answer there. Then I was right. Perhaps I should be glad my Auntie Nais is sending me to a convent. Oh, no. No, don't be glad about that. I mean, uh, probably your aunt feels that that atmosphere is better for a young girl, but I'm convinced that... Oh, Inez! Oh, no. No, that's not why she's sending me. No? No. Maria says she's jealous. She says it's because I'm... good-looking. Maria has excellent eyesight. Thank you, Father, but... Are you sure? No one except Maria ever says I'm pretty. Pretty? Are you more radiant, more lovely than a morning in June? You... you really think that? With all my heart. Oh, I've never heard such words before. They... they make me almost lose my breath. You should hear such words every hour of the day. You're not in the least like Fray Ramon. Talk so strangely. You're not a padre. You're an imposter. You're wearing a sword. We've been looking everywhere for you. Zola just broke into the house and threatened your uncle. They think he's still hiding somewhere close by. Come along. Oh, we'll lock the doors after we leave, Fra Ramon. The beast may try to rob the altar. Good night, Padre. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I like that. And she's so young. I mean, both as the character and as the actress. He's such a sex symbol. <laughs> he, he was. He was indeed, and 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 uh, the thing about Tyrone Power is that he was also a true patriot. In that during World War II, he enlisted for the frontline service as a pilot in in Asia. He was flying these huge cargo planes with guns and ammunition to the Allies in uh, Burma and China and so forth. And his commanding officer said he was an outstanding pilot who always could be counted on for delivering the goods and following directions. And you never knew, I mean, you always knew that he was going to be on the spot and he would do his duty. He got lots of different uh, medals and awards for that service. So that, that adds to the, the whole package of him. It's just, it's so unfortunate that he was so young when he died. Yeah, we were talking about that before we started. He was a heavy smoker, and he would chain smoke all day long and then also smoke a pipe. 
he died of a heart attack, but I'm pretty sure that it was uh, the cause of that was all the smoking that he did. He died right before his son was born. Yes. And I, I so I kind of did some research on his son. His son was also in movies for a while. He did a really engaging Western called Rawhide that was filmed out in the Lone Pine area, and I think it was made in uh, 1951. And the malevolent bad guy in that film, you'll you'll love this, was Hugh Marlowe. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. One of our favorites, <laughs> Hugh Marlowe. Hugh, Hugh was more than just the mad scientist battling alien saucers. Now I want to watch It Came From Outer Space later today. If you get a chance, <laughs> you'll, you'll enjoy Rawhide. It's a, it's a really good Western. Again, with gigantic, bombastic music. to get up and, and do a march when they're doing the opening music. It's really fun. Our film progresses and uh, more and more Zorro is getting the upper hand. He'll appear and slash his Z on different things, including the wall of the dictator. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think the, uh, the dictatorial forces are becoming a little bit unhinged because they can't figure out who this person is and how can he be in all these places at the same time? And he's garnering this vast support from all of the common people that have been downtrodden, downtrodden by the corrupted administration of Don Luis. Yeah, didn't they call them the peons and the caballeros, right? And yeah. The caballeros were sort of more like the ones in charge and the peons were more the, like the common people. Yeah, the, the, the peasants, the peasants, yes. He needed to get the support of both of those groups, but especially the caballeros um, and his dad being one of them because uh, his dad had been the former administrative magistrate of the district. He was thought of uh, as the champion for justice. And gradually, over the course of the hour-and-a-half film, the peasants come around, and then a lot of the the leadership that are disgusted with Don Luis begin to change their minds as well. Well, and Don Luis also is so scared for his life that he, he writes a resignation letter. Yes, what a weakling. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then I love that Captain Esteban Pasquale comes in and sees... Diego, Diego. You were right. You were right. I'll leave this cursed place. I'll do as he asks. Pen, paper. Your Excellency. A man should consider his wife. Inez has, Inez has gone crazy over the idea of Madrid. She's been at me night and day to take her there. This? Do it. This would suit that maniac. Uh, look it over. That's very direct. But you you forgot to sign. Oh. Sign what? My resignation, Esteban. This Zorro will kill me if I stay. You may escape him. But I will surely kill you if you write me more of these. But Esteban, I'm in danger. Grave danger. Diego here will bear me out. You're in even greater danger than he thinks. 
So you tried to get gold out of the country, did you? If you ever again take one peso of mine, I'll cut your throat from ear to ear. I must please ask you to change the subject. His Excellency objects to talk of throat cutting. Quiet you, Popinjay. I've no reason to letting you live either. What a pleasant coincidence. I feel exactly the same way about you, Capitan. You wouldn't care to translate that feeling into action, would you? I might be tempted. If I had a weapon. He says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm writing my, my resignation letter. And he grabs it and rips it in half and says, no, you're not going to be doing that. Kind of where the it comes to a head with the unmasking of Zorro and all that stuff. But yeah. Oh, that, and that sword fight. I love the way it was described in one of the places I read it. Zorro eventually dispatches the captain in a fast-moving rapier duel to the death, forging a regime, regime change. Don Diego's plan. They undercrank the film. It was like 18 frames per second, and the normal would be 24. Oh, Then great. when they played it back, it was a little bit faster because it, it looked so fast, right, when they were battling it out. Absolutely. They both looked like world-class uh, swordmen. Which, which Rath, uh, Rathbone was. When you see the shots of Powers from behind, that's actually a stunt double who was one of the instructors. Um, and so they could even fight even more realistically because they actually had like two world-class swords, swords people fighting you know, for real. I mean, obviously they didn't have real swords, but you know they were really going at it. Wouldn't it be interesting to go back in time to that soundstage and watch that being filmed? Oh, that would Amazing. be awesome. Amazing. Awesome. It must have been so fun for Basil Rathbone because it, he actually looked like he was having a good time. He did. <laughs> he did. I think he thought this was going to be a pretty easy battle. How good could this foppish guy be? I think uh, Don Luis said that he was fighting like some demon out of hell. Or Keep that man covered. Take him to the guardhouse and lock him in a cell. The strongest cell you have. Why arrest me, Excellency? <laughs> For three reasons. First, you have mud from the cellar on your boots. Second, that secret stairway happens to be in your old home. And third, you handle a sword like a devil from hell. And that's exactly where you're going, Senor Zorro. <laughs> that's a pretty way to treat your future nephew, Uncle Luis. No more of your wit. Take him away. You, Morales. Send the officer of the day to me. I want all caballeros and all peons summoned here at once. Yes, sir. <laughs> and Rath Rathbone at the time of the making of this was 48 years old, so he was still able to pull off these sword fights with... Oh, he looked great. Great, great talent and execution. No, no pun intended. I almost wish we had a little bit more of Basil in this movie. He, he kind of comes in as a foil for Don Luis Quintero and, and also Diego. Uh, but he's, he's not really a fully fleshed out character. I, I kind of wish that we'd had a couple more interactions with him to get yeah. more of his backstory. That would have made it even better. Well, uh, I, I love the movie. I mean, it's... Uh, I would never get tired of watching it. I really wouldn't. It's just amazing how how well done it's it's put together let's see if i forgot anything here about anyone well let's see the only one that comes to mind that had a, a kind of a rough patch after this and in the mccarthy house on american activities time 
that I know of in the cast was Gail Sontagard. She was accused of having uh, communist leanings and all kinds of issues, and I think she was blacklisted for quite some time in the 50s. Oh, my gosh. I wanted to mention one other thing. When I was in high school, 7-Up, the 7-Up soft drink company, sponsored a 15-minute television program once a week. I believe it was on Wednesday night. I think it was on ABC, and it was Zorro. And, oh, it, and it, cool. it was it was not even a half hour in length at the, at the beginning. It may have gone out to a half hour, but I still remember that. I mean, how much action could you shoehorn into fifteen minutes? <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> so it's one of those characters that's just kind of in the in the cultural zeitgeist because I remember growing up. I I don't know where I would have heard or learned about Zorro, but I remember playing sword fights with the other kids and like with with Ben, my brother, playing Zorro. Yeah, it's just one of those characters that's just out there. And yeah, along with Robin Hood and Tarzan and the Lone Ranger. Oh, the Lone Ranger. And for me, the Shadow, a little different approach, but... uh... Kind of all these characters from the 20s and 30s that had a long and continue to, in some ways, have... uh, influences or show up in media although i kind of glad with zorro that i didn't i didn't feel like there were too many really onerous stereotypes in this movie kind of was a straight ahead action movie in a lot of ways and not a lot of uh things in there where i was kind of cringing i just uh i couldn't agree more i just looked up zorro from television it uh it debuted in october 1957 and it was on for three seasons on ABC. And the lead was Guy Williams, who later was on the CBS show Lost in Space. He was the captain in that. Oh, yeah. Yep. They did 39 episodes. It was 22 to 24 minutes long, so I guess it was always a half hour. I just had the memory that it was... It's been probably on radio as well. I don't. I didn't look that up. But uh, So how would you rate our fine... Don Diego. Oh, I would give it a nine for just pure entertainment and rewatchability value. Yeah. I, I land on a nine too. For all of that, plus the, and I love this, quote, bombastic music of Alfred Newman. The music is great. And the cinematography was really good too. Um, and I loved how they were able to make it look like they were really on a villa in, in Southern California I in know. the 1800s. Yeah. There was such a, an excellence in how that was done in, the, in those years. I also wanted to mention, I believe that Alfred Newman, the, uh, the person who put the music together, was nominated for an Academy Award. I couldn't find that this morning, but I, my memory is that he did. I don't know whether he won or not. But uh, two nines for a really fun, fun movie. And coming up next, Elevator to the Gallows. Yes. With Jean Moreau. I think that was made in 1958 or something like that. You're in, if you haven't seen that one, anybody who's listening would really enjoy that one. It's, it's, it's a series of missteps. <laughs> it's, the, it's the perfect plan with a never-ending series of missteps. That's, I like those kind of movies, yeah. I did want to give a, a thank you and a shout-out to our Patreon subscribers. It really helps us. We have fun doing this. We're up, we're coming up on our 200th anniversary. 200 episodes, yeah. Who yep. thought that that would happen in our first one? Stagecoach. No kidding. Wow. Yeah, we want to do a retrospective episode too, kind of looking back over the first 200 episodes like we did after the 100 episodes. Um, I will put all that together. Yeah. All right. Cool. 
All right, well, that was the Mark of Zorro. We really enjoyed it, as you could tell. Coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt. And here in Los Angeles is Bob. Wishing everybody happy movie watching. Oh, Diego, when may we expect you and our dear little Lolita in Madrid? Not for some time, I'm afraid. We're going to follow the customs of California. What do you mean? Well, we're going to marry and raise fat children and watch our vineyards grow. I love this. This is one of, you know, I have favorites that we've done. 12 O'Clock High was one. This is one. Double Indemnity. Some of them just, I I just never get tired of seeing. This is, I had forgotten how much I love this movie. It makes me want to watch The Gay Blade. <laughs> George Hamilton. <laughs> on, a, on a different note, I was watching, and I, I, I've set aside like, a part of the afternoon, like say from 3.30 to 5.30, and I'll watch a movie, an old movie. I watched one I'd never seen called The Light in the Piazza with uh, Olivia de Havilland and uh, Rosano Brazzi that we saw from South Pacific and George Hamilton playing an Italian. And and I I got, the, the movie was wonderful. It's just, it's a love story and it's all filmed in Rome. So it's not only a well-done film with a great script, but it's like taking a travel log throughout Rome. And I'd never seen it. So I'm, I'm hooked on finding these obscure movies that I've never watched and watching, say, two or three a week. <laughs>